0: in the name of Christ, and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith, centered and grounded through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul says it well from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord as they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of holy baptism from Luther's small catechism. We were very blessed last week with Pastor Dennis McFadden, who spent most of his life not believing in infant baptism or the efficacy of holy baptism, and he helped us understand the basics of what baptism is, water included in God's command and combined with God's word. If you did not listen to that study, I do encourage you to listen to it because it is foundational for our study today, where we will ask the, answer the question, what benefits does baptism give? Often you will hear people say, well, I, I agree we should be baptized, but it doesn't actually do something. That's where the discussion really gets exciting. So that's why I'm excited to study this today, because the Bible has so much to say, so much depth, so much enrichment for us to know that baptism not only happened that day years ago or days ago, whenever it was for you, but also has benefits for us today. So join us for this great ride. Dust off your little catechism, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, as we begin in the Ten Commandments till now, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the confession of Christ, we welcome for the first time Pastor Stuart Crown, Stuart Crown excuse me, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California. Pastor Crown, welcome! To Concord Matters.
1: Well, the Lord be with you, Pastor Fernando, and all the saints in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you once again.
0: Yeah, Pastor, you've been with us on Dice Wrong Word and in my former time with them. And so my question for you today, uh, can you, uh, not question, but can you tell our guests a little bit about yourself and the ministry at Trinity Lutheran Church?
1: Sure. I have been in Palo Alto, which is halfway between San Jose and San Francisco, California, for almost 28 years. Uh, Trinity does campus ministry at Stanford University and the congregation has had a rich liturgical and confessional heritage with Pastor Paul Lang who wrote What an Altar Guild Should Know and my predecessor Martin Taddy a very fine uh, example of a pastoral care pastor visitations and just a, a huge heart for the gospel for the people that God had given him in charge over.
0: And so, as we as we look at that, clearly, when you're working in uh, campus ministry, and I know that there's been numerous times where we have discussed working with people from different faiths or outside of faith, baptism is something that uh, is is always in the front lines. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit, baptism and speaking to people of of different faiths or or not the Christian faith at all? Any any first thoughts?
1: When will I begin with adult catechesis and a recent example we began a session several months ago i first began with the divine service and show how the entire divine service is wrapped in baptism begun uh, began with the invocation obviously the words echoing or the words of the baptism in the name of the father son and holy spirit but then also the benediction from numbers chapter 6 where the lord told moses to put um uh, told moses to tell Aaron to put his name upon his people. So, the people gathered are to know that they are gathered as God's people to receive his gifts in Christ Jesus. Because many Christians, and especially non-Lutherans, don't delve into the, if you will, past act of baptism, and maybe refer to it simply as a past act. I really try to begin with baptismal identity in the divine service, and anchor all further discussion of catechesis in that declaration from the Father. For example, as parents raise their children, the premise is food and clothing comes onto the act of giving birth. When you give birth, you therefore promise for the rest of one's life to care for the child. And so as God has declared His children by the act of baptism, every good thing flows out of that, that union with Christ. And since He has given to us the Son, Jesus Christ, why would He not give us all good things? Why would, we, why would we not ask for all good things, beginning with His Holy Spirit? So, I root my catechesis in that baptismal identity as proclaimed in the divine service, which is where people generally, although a non-Lutheran confession, first hear about it, or maybe see it, if you will, enacted in the divine service. How, how both the Absolution, if you will, returns us to that declaration. And the preaching, again, proclaims and opens that up. And those baptized are called to the Lord's Supper. So that's where the the baptismal focus is for me uh, in, in catechesis. Because most Christians, again, don't delve into that or look at it as a past act and maybe simply symbolic of something which God had done.
0: I still remember my first parish, there was an older gentleman who just spoke about his confirmation and about when he would uh, went through confirmation, when he confirmed his faith. And throughout his life, it was amazing because he was one that didn't go to church for like 20 years of his life. And he spoke about near the end of his life with with me as his pastor, just how much his baptism mattered to him. And it was quite shocking because um, I mean, the baptism and how the, the, when he went to worship, he remembered his baptism. When he confirmed his faith, he remembered his baptism. I mean, he was well taught years ago in downtown Milwaukee um, to understand that this was always there, even in the worship service, every single time he gathered. And that was the first time I heard a lay person speak mm. that way. So it does make a big impact on people. And it is, is in, very much so for you, our listeners, when you go to worship especially at a Lutheran church, just find those little nuggets throughout, as Pastor just mentioned. There's so much right there reminding you of that the Lord has called you His own and holy baptism. Pastor, any last thoughts before we dig in?
1: Sure. I mean, the same would be true for Luther's morning and evening prayers as you make the Son of the Cross, Mm. indicative of your baptism. So not only is the divine service that Sunday hour, if you will, wrapped in baptism, but your whole life from the end of one day to the beginning of the next. And then if you will, each creation day until the great Sabbath, every day is wrapped in your baptism in God's creative, redemptive work.
0: Ah, now you got us excited for daily prayers, which will come (laughs) uh, probably about another month, but thank you for that. So pastor, let's do this. Let's confess what the small catechism says. And then we're going to just, as you said, we're wrapped in baptism and we'll wrap this with God's word this morning. So reminder to our listeners, we will be confessing from the small catechism, Luther's small catechism with explanation, which is a 2017 version of CPH on page 23. And also we would be going into page 24. So the second part of baptism that we can we confess, what benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. For Mark 16, verse 16. So, Pastor, let's give it to us straight, start us off on the right foot. What benefits does baptism give?
1: Well, the first consideration is that it joins you to Christ. Because baptism, as it is, does not stand by itself. It is God's union for you in Christ Jesus. So while it is an act historically in the past, it is a living act because God's word is living. Therefore, what happened in the past continues for today and into eternity. Uh, God doesn't break his promises. So what he said when he joined us to Christ is an enduring work for us so first of all we acknowledge that baptism isn't a confession of baptism by itself but rather a confession of how it is joined us to christ and the fullness of christ's life his death his ministry his resurrection all that christ has is bestowed upon us and that's the foundation which we need to set whenever we begin preaching and teaching of holy baptism
0: And so united with Christ, can you speak to us a little bit about what does scripture say? Let me take a step back first, sorry. Is a lot of times people will say, well, baptism doesn't do anything. And like, okay. And I remember even in college, I'm like, oh, well, maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. And people kind of proclaim as if there's no scriptural passages that would point us to that. But you're saying we are united in Christ when we are baptized. So can you point us to scripture in such case?
1: So you would begin probably with Romans chapter six, which is a bold proclamation by Paul of one's union with Christ. The, the language that Paul has, beginning in verse three, therefore we are buried with him. In verse five, united with him. Verse six, crucified with him. Verse eight, died with him. Also live with him. It's unmistakable that one is joined to Christ. It is not an ecclesiastical act, but it is a Christological act that you are bound to the one that God has designated as son. Not that God made him son, but that through his death and the resurrection, he is revealed as the work of God for our salvation, our deliverance. So to be joined with him is to be joined with all of God's promises manifested in Christ. And Paul is very specific here in those verses. He could use a a preposition. We have a standalone preposition with. Paul doesn't do that here. He joins the preposition to the word itself. Um, The preposition is where we get a word symphony or or sympathy, that S-Y-M. And he emphasizes the bond to Christ by joining the prefix to the base word, now that may sound a little, if you will, geeky, but it's emphatic for the Christian to know that you are joined to him in a, a very specific way, that is, by baptism.
0: And that's a boy, that's a language that we don't speak about. I suppose um when we when someone gets baptized, we will speak language such as this child is now saved. This is 1 Peter chapter 3. But to emphasize united with him, is language I think is, 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 is key because it's almost like God is grabbing a hold of us. But at the same time, I think in Galatians 2.20 where it says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, how do we, why is that so important to, to emphasize that language, which is from scripture and what that means for the Christian, not only on the day of their baptism, but throughout their lives?
1: Well, if Christ is raised on day 8, so let's assume that the Sunday of the resurrection is day 8, we have a new creation. Christ is raised from the grave. The hold of death over us is broken. The mastery of the law, as that which condemns, is broken. So if you are bound to Christ Jesus, therefore you have a new creation. You are the new creature, which, uh, which Christ himself is, if you will, the first fruits of the new creation. So being bound to Him means that you have that new life now. So you are separated from the old, no longer part of the present evil age, but you are part of the new creation, which God is, has promised, but it is living under the hiddenness of the present tribulations and trials, which God uses to, uh, shear off, uh, call us to repentance, to uh, cast off every weight and sin which would hinder us, and to hold fast to what he has proclaimed in his Son, Christ Jesus. So the intent of saying with him is to say that you are a new creation in him. What happened with his death, the death of all of us on Good Friday, is brought to the fullness of life on Easter. So you are brought through that with your baptism. And so there is no death for you. There is no life for you apart from that union with Christ. If there's no union with Christ, it must be done to you. You must be the one responsible for your death and then for (laughs) impossibly responsible for your own resurrection. So you have to keep uh, both the the death and the resurrection together. It's that death and the resurrection, not the death and the resurrection, but the death and the resurrection for us in Christ Jesus, um, with him.
0: So if I break this sound even further to try to make it as simple as, as my mind can handle is that when someone is baptized, you are saying they die and they rise. Um, and that is not our work at all. It is all, God's work. How would you unpack that for someone, say, at Stanford University when they want to discuss baptism with you?
1: Well, let's just look at the language of Paul in Romans 6. We have been united. That's what we call passive language. There's active language. I unite myself. That would be active. I'm doing it. This is passive language. We have been united, was crucified, have died. We will live. That language roots is rooted in what God does. And it's creative language. That is, Adam was made. Woman was made. The breath of life was breathed into the man. So what we're asserting here is that when we died, it was done to us. It was not a chosen death. Uh, Christ willed that death for himself in as much as he followed the Father's will. And so you baptized into Christ, go through that death. Now, the resurrection is the same way. Jesus is raised. Uh, Paul speaks about this in Romans 1. Jesus is raised. And that's also then a passive work. He doesn't grab the resurrection. He doesn't grab his ascension. It is given to him because of faithfulness, as Hebrews 5 would say. So what is done to us here in the resurrection, it is a gift given to us because or of with our union in Christ. Again, an act of God upon us. A dead man can, cannot make decisions. So we who are dead on Good Friday must be raised only by the Lord's creative, redemptive, delivering word. So that's how we would focus upon that, the passivity, if you will, the being, being done enough. That's rather awkward, but it's being done to us.
0: Is that a word? Doneness? What? I'm going to, I'm going to write that down. Well, no, doneness. probably not. <laughs> but I think it's, it really captures that it is, it is finished. It is, it is done, um, by Christ's life, death and resurrection. And then therefore he gives that to us. Now, pastor, you mentioned Romans six, which I encourage you, our listeners. To look at this, this is not only done or a read for us you know. during, for, for example, a baptism. We usually try to incorporate that, at least I have, but also done at a funeral, which is a good emphasis as well, that understanding of this person has died and risen in Christ and therefore as they have died in Christ, they will rise again. And that's the hope that we have, that once again, that doneness is going to be fulfilled when Christ returns. Uh, Pastor, I want to talk about that more a little bit later. However, are there other passages that speak about this dying in Christ and rising in him um, that, you have, that you want to unpack for us today?
1: Well, Colossians chapter 2 is a parallel to Romans chapter 6. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So he's taking it, if you will, out of the hands of man, right, and puts it into the work of God. Uh, By putting off the body of the flesh. Now, flesh, we don't mean that we want to escape the body which God has created. The flesh here refers to the old power that snakes its way into our lives, hindering our desire and ability to fulfill what the new man wants to do. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So, language very similar to Romans chapter six, which shows that. Notice Paul doesn't unpack everything about baptism; he gives, if you will, a, a small catechism treatment. He says what it does, assuming that both the uh, both the Colossians and the Romans have been thoroughly catechized in the baptism which they have received. They have crossed over from the east side of the Jordan, through the Jordan, into the land that God had promised. Just as they left Egypt and went through the sea, but not baptized into Moses now, but baptized into Christ and are yet, if you will, in the wilderness, but Christ never leaves His people. So it is, God's work, both from Egypt to the wilderness or from Moab, Ammon into the new land, passing through the water, passing through death, a status changed from wandering about to having certainty in what God has said for you in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul goes on to say in Colossians 2, he focuses upon the reconciliation, the declaration that sin has been forgiven dead in trespasses, he forgave the trespasses, and he nailed all the demands to the cross and disarmed all the rulers, all the authorities that would hold such things against us and put them to shame, and we are free then, released from that mastery by Christ's own faithfulness.
0: And so as we... (laughs) Pastor, there's so much as we're looking at this, and I would encourage our listeners that if you have any questions or just want to look again at baptism, you have Romans 6, you have Colossians 2. Are there other passages that you would want to encourage our listeners as we look at the benefits of baptism?
1: Or Ephesians chapter 5, a beautiful passage regarding husband and wife, but Paul is speaking about Christ and the church. Uh, Christ loved the church, a faithfulness demonstrated in body, and gave himself up for her, language what Paul had used in in Galatians chapter 2, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. There's the, the baptismal reference that Christ has declared his wife beautiful for him. He washed her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle, he has declared her blemish-free, acceptable in his sight, holy, sanctified, set apart only for him. And the same thing is true in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So again, baptismal language. It just permeates all that Paul has to say about the Christian life.
0: So once again, for you, our listeners, to look at actually 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is one of those that I don't think I've ever um, explicitly gone to that passage right away. And that one is is so important with this, speaking about the daily walk with our Lord, the daily um, uh, trying to live holy lives and also realizing that indeed we have sinned, that our identity is not as a sinful person, even though that is part of who we are. But ultimately, it comes down to our identity in Christ and the idea of washing, um, which we will talk a little bit further in the small catechism. What I found interesting here, Pastor, as you are speaking, is that with all these passages that very much so tell us about all the gifts of what we receive in holy baptism, Martin Luther doesn't use Romans 6, which I would have, if I was writing a small catechism, I probably would use Romans 6. But he uses, of course, I'm not, using, not writing one but he uses Mark chapter 16. Do you have any thoughts on that? We have about two minutes before our break.
1: So why use Mark 16? I think it's because it is the succinct summary of faith holding on to God's promises or the specific promise of Christ's death and resurrection, which Mark devotes one third of his gospel account to. So faith in that, and I think that's why Luther chose that succinct uh some, uh, summary for us at that point.
0: And it's going to be interesting because, as he does say, that he gives eternal salvation. Very clearly um, that is about salvation that he presents to us. And it's, it's interesting as we look at Mark chapter 16 because it does say this. You know what? I'm going to want to, I want to address this question after our break. So coming down to this, I sit with a the family their baby's going to be baptized. Um, and I read Mark 16 and they're like, oh, wait a second here. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So what about, what if, what if something happens to my child before they're baptized in two weeks or a month or whatever the time would be? What am I going to do? I better do it right now. What's going to happen? How do we look at this? What do we believe about this? Pastor, I want to hear your thoughts on that, but I want to hear on the other side of our break. We are studying benefits. What benefits does baptism give? Through small catechism, and we'll be right back. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran.
1: Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast.
0: The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. are studying what God's word has to say about holy baptism, specifically the benefits with Pastor Stuart Crown of Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California. Now, Pastor, like I said, you're sitting with a family. They're going to have the child baptized. It says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Um, Whoever does not believe will not be saved. So what would you tell the parents when they say, well, wait a second here, what happens if If my child doesn't make it in the next two weeks, what about that? What would you tell
1: them? Well, I would begin with what God plainly tells us rather than speculating upon what God doesn't tell us or what we might want to think about what God has not told us. So let's go to the passages where God's will is plainly proclaimed to us. So let's root our actions, our response of faith, and what God has promised. So if God promises these blessings, salvation, the whole lot, resurrection of the body, forgiveness of sin, fellowship of the saints, the new creation, if those words are true, assured by Christ's death and resurrection, then why hesitate? Why wait? If we focus on that perspective, then we give no room for speculation as to what happens if we don't do it. I'd rather prefer. I prefer that perspective rather than, well, if we wait and something happens, well, why wait? Then you don't have to answer the questions that you really can't answer. But if we must pursue this, if people are persistent, which I know they are, I'd root my answer in what David says about his own son in 2 Samuel chapter 12, that that son dies before his circumcision.
2: What does David say? David has the hope that he will
1: be reunited with his son. Now, David is speaking from one who knows the promises of God. And that's where I would I would begin with those parents about the blessings of baptism. David knows. He has attempted to raise, if you will, this son in the faith by his faithful prayer. Uh, the son isn't, isn't circumcised, but she is approaching it from the perspective of God's faithfulness, what he knows about God. So again, I would, uh, my short answer is let's look at those passages and let those passages move us and give us assurance.
0: Pastor, there's a lot of different directions that we could speak about the benefits of baptism. What do you you want to talk about next?
1: Well, we should begin always with justification. That is, God making this declaration, having declared us righteous. That is, the power of the law no longer has mastery to accuse us and to eternally condemn us, to remove us from his presence, but rather passing through the veil, which is Christ's body, we are declared members of His sons, so we enter the uh, the presence of our Father, and therefore are able to ask Him for every good thing. Uh, hence, that moves us into the Lord's prayer. We say, "Oh, our Father," and we thank Him for the gift of the name put upon us. "Hallowed be Thy name," and then ask Him for every good gift, as children, uh, coming of His household, the coming of the kingdom, His will being done within His household and His entire creation and the other other blessings. So we begin with God setting us aside as his own. The image I would think about would be, again, Israel passing through the sea. That, if you will, sanctified Israel, set them apart from all the other nations. And the evil which badgered them before they went through the water would never be seen again. The deadness of the soldiers was evident. And so we see, having passed through baptism into Christ, The deadness of the past life, the deadness of the world around us, and we know that it has no power over us. The authorities, the dominions are all under Christ's feet, King's Lord, and not they. So justification is the place to begin. Now we have other facets of that, of course, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the down payment that assures you that what God did to your body. It isn't simply, if you will, a spiritual act. It is not simply a mere external thing. Uh, and if it is an external thing, obviously by application of water, we should rejoice in the external thing because it claims the body that God has made. So we don't denigrate the external nature of baptism. We rejoice in it because there's the promise of the resurrection of the body and also of the life. Everlasting, uh, which is a uh, maybe an advertisement one might say for the Easter Vigil. That at the Easter Vigil you are passing through from Good Friday to Easter, and you share in His death and the burial of Christ, and guarantees the sharing of the resurrection of the One who is risen from the dead. And that's the the theme of the Easter Vigil, uh, which would lead to a facet we might call new birth. Uh, God has given to you an identity. Now, we see so many people today searching for an identity, uh, maybe outside of themselves in a larger group, some society, some social gathering, or maybe trying to invent an identity for themselves. Uh, the gender dysphoria matters circulating today. Who am I? What am I? And in baptism as new birth, God says, this is who you are. Apart from all the the internal struggles you might have, from all the the struggles that Satan and the world thrust upon you, this is your identity. I have claimed you as my own. And the promise, the, the work of Satan, the aggravation of bodily afflictions, even death itself, will never separate you from that new identity in Christ Jesus.
2: I want to unpack that a little bit more about this identity piece,
0: because this goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you highlighted so beautifully, is because we will always ask that question, who am I? And throughout our lives, our vocations, if you will, will change. You know, I, for example, I was a student and then I became a pastor. So that that changed. I and mean, all of a sudden I'm being called pastor, or when I got married, I was now sometimes called a husband, and, and then when I had children, I'm now dad, or when you're when the kids are little, it's daddy, but now it's dad, and sometimes it's, hey, you, you know, all these kind of things. All of these are changing throughout our lives. Why is this so important that, for example, we talked about with Pastor McFadden last week about celebrating our baptismal birthday, that you're able to say and sing, God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. That identity piece is so important especially in our world today. Do you want to pack that a little bit more um, about why that's important to always have baptism as part of it?
1: When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his first Corinthian correspondence, he begins by identifying the saints and then also regard to baptism. And people are saying, I'm baptized. I was baptized by him, baptized by the other. And Paul says, I wasn't sent to baptize. But then he roots everybody's identity, not in who did the baptism, but into whom you are baptized by the end of chapter one. And then the work of the spirit to assure you of your understanding of God's promises. Notice then in the first six chapters, Paul doesn't talk about their, what we might call their temporal vocations. your fatherhood, being citizen, being member of the family. Uh, neighborliness. He always proclaims what God has done for them in Christ, rooting their identity in Christ. We know the Corinthian congregation was very troubled. What Paul does is he points them back to baptism. He mm-hmm. informs them, again, as I said earlier, like, like the divine service, that Corinthian correspondence, Paul always says, what I received from the Lord I passed on to you. And that teaching of baptism is fundamental then for getting the Corinthian eyes off of themselves and on to the Lord Jesus Christ and whom they are the new creatures. Now, Paul doubt that also in Romans chapter 1. He identifies himself as set apart. He is a slave of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle. He is set apart for the deliverance of the gospel. And that we know comes out of Acts 9, where he's called by the Lord Jesus Christ and also baptized. Mm. So he himself as a Jew, you would think, why would he have to be baptized? Well, he too has to go from death to life in Christ Jesus. So his letters begin with that declaration of saints, acknowledging that they were sanctified by
2: the washing of the water with the word. Pastor, as we look at this, it does strike me, once again, going back
0: to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is that he speaks about verse 11. So, there's all these identities. Uh, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, um, swindlers, all of them will not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. He speaks this language, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. It is, it is so, um, it, it puts us all in the same playing field that when I was baptized, November 4th, 1979, that I was indeed a sinner and such was some of, such were some of you, meaning me. And for those who are practicing such things that he's speaking of here, that such were some of you, he says to them. And therefore we all are on the same playing field of identity and something so simple as water and the word changed my identity now and forever. Maybe I'm just preaching right now, but pastor, what do you want to jump onto that? Because that's really striking me. Such were some of you, which shows there's a new me. There's there's a new identity in Christ that we have simply by water and the word. Other thoughts?
1: Yes, Paul must address the Corinthian situation because of the Gentile immorality or, or the pagan culture immorality that the Corinthians were living in as Christians. So he must make that declaration that they were this way, but now they are in Christ Jesus. Paul does the same thing in Ephesians chapter four. Now, because he's writing a circular letter to the Ephesians and probably then to be read to other congregations, in chapter 4, he speaks about the, that they, Jew and Gentile, so he's not using categories specifically as in First Corinthians 6 of immorality categories, but Jew and Gentile. They, in the mystery of God, are now one people in baptism. Now, he does say, put off your old self in chapter 4. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And that would be what we just heard in First Corinthians chapter six, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So uh Paul takes the the language of the old life and says, That's been disconnected. Don't recognize yourself that way. Uh count yourself. Uh, language of justification is is counting. Um uh, Reckon yourselves alive in Jesus Christ. But that's more of a, not just ponder it, but know that it's been declared. It's an accounting term that once it's been written down by God, look at that, what he has said. So, looking at that new creation once again, that the Corinthians knew about, he also says that to the Ephesians. So, it's a consistent theme in all of Paul's uh, uh, letters.
0: And like you said, it's, it's not something to just ponder because someone will say, bring up an idea. So why don't you think about that for a while? You know, then then questions come up in our mind. Am I saved? Is is this an actual good thing as opposed to just proclaiming you are baptized? This is not a question. Are you baptized? I'm not sure if you're baptized. No, you are baptized. At The water and the word did give forgiveness of sins, um, uh, rescue from the death death and and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this. I mean, it is not a, "Mm, let's think about this for a little bit. Noah says, this is who you are. End of story. This is who you are. And that's important for our world today as well. Pastor, you've spoken a lot about uh, justification. How do you want to move forward? Not forward as if we get beyond justification, never do. But there's other points you want to make.
1: Sure. We mentioned already the, what, what you might say, the facet of new birth, how our Lord describes baptism as new birth in John chapter 3, and Paul speaks about that, it, about that in Ephesians 4. And again, Paul speaks about that in Corinthians, Second Corinthians, of you are a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. And we, we can't pay enough attention to the language of has passed away and has come. So, as much as we are sinner and saint, notice what Paul does emphasize. We recognize that we are that sinner yet, but our status before the Father, the status before the Father is as son. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the certainty to pray our Father who art in heaven. We'd always waffle, we'd waver, we'd be filled with doubt, but anchored in baptism, we can pray with certainty. Despite the struggles we have internally, what our hearts or our consciences may say, God's promise is there, therefore we pray according to his word in baptism. And that gives us the strength to, to pray boldly. Not, not our certainty, but rather what God has said. Faith clings to that work of God. Faith doesn't cling to its own sincerity. It looks at the promise of God in Christ. So besides new birth, I think we could also emphasize uh being citizen. God has brought us from being far away and brought us near. We who we who were outside of the kingdom, outside of the city, have been brought in the city walls. We are made citizens. God writes our names in his book of citizenship. And baptism is that declaration of our citizenship, uh, not declared so by the the laws or powers of men, but rather in heaven, a declaration of God himself. And that's, from the, that's the place from which we await our Savior to transform our lowly bodies. So notice that the promise given in baptism, the blessing of baptism, it is the transformation of this lowly body. So baptism saves us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that hope of, though we are dying and long to put off this earthly tent, we long to put on the, the tent, or the, excuse me, the building not made by human hands. That is God raised his son. We look ahead to that glorious recreation, that construction, the new shaping of our, our clay, and to be breathed into once again, finally, With the, with the spirit never again to struggle with the old man. So citizenship is another way to look at this entrance into God's throne room. And maybe another way to look at it would be household, a son or, or an heir. God has declared you in Christ Jesus his son. Therefore you are an heir. You are a son legally adopted by God and he was given to us his Spirit as the guarantee. You know, typically, we're the ones who, when purchasing, guarantee the rest of the payments. In this instance, God of the guaranteeing, and he began the process. He began his work in us, and he will bring, to, bring it to completion. And for this, he has given to us the work of the Spirit to assure us of this. So whenever we cry out, Father, we acknowledge that we are His children and that we have the hope of eternal life. Not we are hoping, as if it's uncertain, but we have the hope. So that hope is our eternal life. And so that's what we're longing for as members of His family. Uh, Titus chapter three, which comes up in part three of baptism, says mm-hmm. that, likewise. Justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And if there's another facet to be emphasized, it would be that of fellowship. So we have the vertical assurance from God, the Father to us, His dear sons. But we also have the horizontal component of this new life. If you are baptized into Christ, which you are and I am, and the, those who are hearing are, that binds us together as one holy family, one, one gathering, one holy Christian church. Something greater, bigger than I am. Um,
2: what else? No, Pat. Go ahead yeah, pastor, um, you know, as we look at this, one of the I want to use a, a story
0: and to see uh, how this connects because you're 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 filling us with all of these realities of what baptism is, the benefits that we receive, and what that means for our daily life. So, you have confidence of knowing, like you said, when we pray to the Father that He hears us as a dear Father hears His dear children. I mean, you connect the, the, the Lord's prayer right away to baptism, citizenship, assurance, and fellowship with one another, you're able to say, hey, I'm baptized, you're baptized into Christ, and we're together now and we'll be for eternity. All of this is almost like this baptismal lens that we're able to see all these things in our lives. And I'm going to use this use this story. Maybe, maybe this connects, hopefully it does. Is uh, before COVID-19, this was the fall of 2019, I went with uh, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund board uh, cause we have two international schools, actually three international schools, Hong Kong in Hanoi, Vietnam, and in Shanghai in China. So we flew out there to make a visit to see the, the work and the ministry that happens out there. And I'll never forget you land in China after 15 hours, Lord have mercy. That was not fun. Uh, but you land there and you walk in, um, to the airport and it has the customs and it says on one side, it says, Uh, citizens. Literally, it says citizens with a bunch of different languages. And then on the right, it says foreigners. And let me forget standing there, like, this is not, like, this is not my citizenship. This is not where I, quote, belong. And so that whole week and a half that I was there, Vietnam, and different places, South Korea, well, I remember when we landed and I went through and just right there, it said, welcome to America, how that assurance of my citizenship as an American, how comforting that was. Well, every day I'm able to have that assurance that in this quote, foreign land, uh, that my citizenship is with Christ, that he has called me to this, that when I'm in the church, I'm united with those folks that we are together in this. And then also that this will be an eternal citizenship with them as well. I just thought about that connection of the comfort that I had then and the assurance And also, what we have every day in Christ and will be forever. Any thoughts or other connections you have with something like that?
1: Sure, no matter how long you might have wandered in those foreign lands, uh, if you will, your passport was never revoked. That was never in question, Mm -hmm. ever taken away. Mm -hmm. So we might say that as long as we wander in this world, our Emmanuel is still with us. So however dark the days may be, However, we might struggle against the tribulations and fears present in this world, we have that assurance of baptism. When Luther's mother was dying, when Margaret was dying, he wrote a wonderful letter to her and drew her back to her own baptism. Uh, He wanted her as she was dying, because I think her husband had died several months before that, that in the midst of this grief that she was experiencing, he said to her, as a son should say to a mother, Mother, your life is rooted in Christ. How do you know this? Because you are baptized into him. We can accomplish nothing against sin and death and the devil by our works, but he has done it all for us. Therefore, we may joyfully depart this life as
2: Simeon did. Mm. And that, boy, that's another, um, that's another, here's an idea. So
0: when we, in our, the congregation I served, Messiah and Sartell, we would have a baptism. We usually would um, either sing before or after the baptism, God's own child, i gladly say it. And it's a phenomenal hymn. It's something that Pastor McFadden and I talked about last week that, for our children on their baptismal birthdays, especially when they were younger, we'd light that baptismal candle and we would sing that hymn, which I, I found a lot of people have done. But here's an idea in the worship service. What if at a baptism, um, we not only would sing the Nunc minus after we take communion, but maybe would sing the Nunc minus after a baptism? Any thoughts to that, Pastor?
1: Well, I, I would hesitate to be the one who suggests liturgical changes for the whole Catholic Church. <laughs>
0: I don't want to put you in that position. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, a great connection for us to think about is that that Simeon, um, his song definitely brings us back to our baptism as well. Uh, sure. As we look at this. Yes. So, I, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that we can make that connection by the confession of the creed, either Nicene or Apostolic or the Athanasian. That would be the baptismal response uh, or response to the baptism, our confession. And then we look ahead to our Lord coming again in great glory to judge both of the living and the dead. That we acknowledge the, the baptismal identity of the church gathered around us, seen and unseen. That we rejoice in the forgiveness of sin. You know, I do think that that note or that part of confession in the third article is yeah. baptismal identity. I belong to the church. I acknowledge the forgiveness of sin in baptism by which I became part of the church. Uh, communion of saints, probably Lord's Supper, but then the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Notice that baptismal claim that God has put upon us that we confess regularly because I'm in Christ who has been raised. I am with him even now. You know, Paul emphasizes this gloriously in Ephesians 2. We are made alive with him raised with him, and seated with him. Those are not past or future tenses. They are present tenses. Hmm. These things are our present status. Even now you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So the threats to your life cannot overcome the victory that God has for us in Christ. They are all under his feet. And therefore, as Paul concludes to the Romans, God will soon crush Satan under our feet. And the sooner the better for the Lord's return then. Pastor, we have about three minutes left in our time. There's,
0: there's a lot to gather here. And just want to see what you, some of your last thoughts are as we look at the benefits of baptism.
1: Well, as Americans, we relish, our, relish in our American identity. Uh, but we know that the political, the social identities fall away. Uh, I love looking at my genealogy, but that also is a past genealogy. My genealogy is not rooted in my ancestors. It's rooted in the living Lord Jesus Christ. My identity is not rooted in my political affiliation, whatever that might be, which I, I don't have one. So for the Romans and for the Colossians, who were under Roman rule, who always uh, felt a threat to concede to the lordship of Caesar, especially maybe as a soldier or a civil servant, they have that tension, who am I? And so when Paul speaks to the Philippians about their baptismal identity, he says, your citizenship is not rooted in your Italian connection to your Caesar connection, to your military service. It's rooted in the one who gave himself for you now they had real bodily threats to rebel against that Caesar connection we should take a encouragement from their steadfastness and recognize that whatever happens to our citizenship in this world whatever past we might have however glorious it might have been the glory our assurance for our identity is rooted in who Christ is so there's an opportunity always in election season to preach the hope of the hope of baptism and not the hope of a political or social change. Jesus is Lord and no president is, no prime minister is, and therefore the lordship is in him. We live under that lordship and not, one, not under the threats and the promises of man.
2: Pastor, as we look at all the lists, I want to make sure I have this correct. Is if we look at the
0: benefits of baptism, it is forgiveness, it is uh, rescuing from death and the devil, eternal salvation, washing, confidence in our identity, citizenship, assurance, fellowship. uh, uh,
1: What else, Pastor? Give me, give me. Is there more to the list? Um. I do not have enough time and I do not have the words. I think that baptism is far larger than what we can presently see through the scriptures. Right now we see through a glass dimly, but then we shall see fully. So baptism right now for us, I think is, we are youngsters. We are the young children reveling in the care of our devoted father. And as we mature in the faith, we see how wonderful it is. But then we shall see fully all that baptism truly is when there is the new creation. For righteousness will dwell forever. Uh, We'll never have the impediments to doubt. And we'll see that the wonderful life that God has woven us into in his son, Christ Jesus. So yes, new birth, the fellowship of the believers, the promise of the resurrection.
0: Pastor Stuart Crown of Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California, clearly confessing the truth of holy baptism. Pastor Crown, thank you for your faithful teaching on Concord Matters.
1: And the Lord be with you and all the hearers.
0: I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finn. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.